Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt, the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2021 event that will take place April 12th through 14th at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. And get your tickets today at our special early bird rate. While you're at CanMedEvents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts to stay up to date with all the news surrounding this industry-leading event. The best place to sign up for those alerts is on our podcast page, which you can find in the main menu under the media tab. You can also go there directly via canmedevents.com slash coffee talk. There's a sign up form on that page and if you complete it, you will be entered into a drawing to win two CanMed 2021 VIP dinner tickets. In other news, we've started a Facebook group. Each year, we are consistently blown away by the amazing presentations, inspiring conversations, and important connections that are made at the annual CanMed conference. So we decided to keep the conversations flowing online with our CanMed community group. The CanMed community is our virtual forum, allowing you to interact directly with many of the CanMed conference speakers, past attendees, and other group members to discuss all things cannabis from bench to the bedside. Use the link in the show description to visit that group today and join. This episode's guest is Mark Jordan. Mark is currently the Chief Executive Officer at Minibus, which is headquartered in Longmont, Colorado. It is a tissue culture lab dedicated to cannabis research and development. His previous positions include work at Colorado Seed, Eurofins Biodiagnostics, and the Denver Botanic Gardens. While at the Denver Botanic Gardens, Mark worked as a research horticulturist running the protocol creation tissue culture lab. This experience allowed him to understand the potential for the application of tissue culture for the cannabis industry and set him on the path he is on now. As you might expect, Mark and I spent a lot of time talking about the tissue culture process. Mark was kind enough to walk me through the basics of the process, including the four stages of plant tissue culture. We also got into how tissue culture propagation differs from clonal propagation, how tissue culture can be used to remediate plants infected with pathogens or viruses, germinating seeds in tissue culture, dark rooting in tissue culture, and more. Even if you've never grown a cannabis plant before, I think you will find this conversation interesting. I know I did. Before we get to my conversation with Mark, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Dark Heart Nursery. Dark Heart is a cannabis bioscience company that's creating exciting new genetics for growers and consumers. The company was founded in 2007, and today it runs a seed-to-shelf operation that includes a breeding program, tissue culture lab, production greenhouse, and a new branded consumer products line. Dark Heart products can be found in farms and dispensaries throughout California. Visit darkheartnursery.com to learn more. And finally, this episode is fueled by the Hemp and Coffee Exchange. If you don't know, Hemp Coffee is a healthy, delicious, natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients 
providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, and without any further ado, I bring you my conversation with Mark Jordan. Good afternoon, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Um, hey, Ben. How's it going? It's going good. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. And I hope you'll forgive me if my line of questioning is a bit rudimentary. Um, I myself am not a cultivation expert. And thankfully, I trust many folks listening are not either. Are not either. So hopefully they'll appreciate me keeping things a little basic. However... I do have a ton of respect and admiration for the folks who are good cultivators, mainly because I have grown cannabis myself and can attest to the fact that it's not nearly as simple as it seems. <laughs> but you take cultivation and propagation to a whole nother level with tissue culture. So first, I was hoping for those who are not familiar with tissue culture, could you please give us kind of a general overview of what that process is? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, So what I tend to tell people for the first time that are just kind of learning about it, getting into it, is along the lines of tissue culture is growing a plant from a small group of cells in a sterile environment, uh, generally in a test tube or something along those lines, in a media that is all the hormones, nutrients, and vitamins the plant needs to grow, thrive, stay alive. And the substance you're growing it in, imagine it's a jello packet with all those nutrients, hormones, and vitamins included. So the plant sits in a fairly firm sort of media. Okay. So why is this process better than the tried and true putting a seed into the ground? So the biggest reason is you get a consistent plant the same way you would get with cuttings. Um, If you take a lot of cuttings, you're going to get that same height on every plant by the time they're done. You're going to get the same structure, spread, all that sort of things. Seeds actually grow about 20% faster than the standard just cutting. And so seeds are actually a very viable method to grow a plant. The only problem is if they're not completely purebred lines, you don't actually know what you're going to get 100% of the time. You might have a little bit of difference in flower or height or bud density. So in general, just taking cuttings allows for a more um, even canopy throughout your whole process. And then on top of that, if you go into tissue culture, what you start to see is those plants now you can culture out of viruses, you can culture out of insects, other pathogens, things like that. And that way, instead of taking just the cutting where you might have a little bit of contamination or something else that goes on where your cutting has a root rot, let's say, um, you don't deal with any of that. It's strictly growing a plant that started off super healthy and accelerating the growth to, I'd say, it's comparable to a seed. So that extra 20% bonus on top of it. So I'm glad that you mentioned viruses because here on the medicinal genomic side, we're working with testing labs and cultivators to develop um, some assays in order to test plants for certain viruses, mainly Pops latent viroid and lettuce chlorosis virus and cannabis cryptic virus as well. 
And I know that there is a way to sort of tissue culture out that virus if you were to identify it. So I was wondering if you could kind of explain to me how, how exactly does that work? Okay, yeah, definitely. And actually using an assay like that, I could see being super beneficial, and I'll kind of touch on that too. Um, so when you're going to culture out of a virus, you need to understand what the meristem of a plant is. If you don't understand what a meristem is, your failure rate's going to go through the roof. Um, a meristem is the smallest new growth of uh, cells, essentially, that the plant creates that is undifferentiated tissue. It doesn't know yet if it's going to be a shoot, a root, a leaf, those sort of things. It's just a mass cluster of cells. And the only reason it cultures, quote unquote, out of a virus is the virus has not had time to actually infect that brand new batch of cells, which is why you're always taking from the smallest amounts possible. If you take something that has everything, including a little bit more than the meristem, there's a good chance you haven't actually cultured out of the virus. And even if you pulled it out of culture, you grew it out, you might not see the virus express until you took cuttings a second time, potentially. So testing for that's extremely crucial. And I always would recommend a molecular test at that point. Um, if you just tried to do it by visual, visual identification, I could see a lot of failure running into problems down the line. So definitely strips or molecular type stuff, um, if that helps. Yeah, so it seems that it's really critical that you take just that little that little bit off the, the very um, end of the plant. Or, or where exactly on the plant are you taking that cutting? Is it at the tip or is it somewhere else? So it's just a meristem. Um, if you, I'd actually recommend if you really want to like look into it to Google what a meristem is. It's spelled um, M-E-R-I-S-T-E-M. And essentially it can be, there's root meristems, there's shoot meristems. Uh, the definition I think is something along the lines of the newest growth point on a plant. So hmm. it's right where anytime you see new tissue coming out, it would be right there. You have lateral meristems, auxiliary meristems. Um, so it's just that brand new growth point. I would recommend if I were to take a new bit of cuttings um, or a new tissue culture from a meristem cut, I would use the very top uh, of the plant right where the normal bud would form or something like that. I haven't seen a lot of success with root meristem cultures. And how small are we talking? Is this like a grain of rice? Is this... Uh, cut a grain of rice into maybe eighths and you're taking wow. a bit of tissue about like that. So you need a microscope in order to do it, uh, at least if you want to do it accurately. I've seen some people kind of eyeball it a little bit. And I guess if you really wanted to try and it was your first time or something, that may be a semi-acceptable method, but you're not going to guarantee accuracy unless you have that like dissection microscope or something even a little stronger potentially that you can actually focus on pulling back the leaf primordia to get to that main meristem. Uh, the leaf primordia are the new leaves that form before they actually form a true leaf that you'd see. Okay. Wow. So that's a very pre precise process. Yes. So I did watch your CanMed 2019 presentation. Um, the video is up on CanMedEvents.com for folks. I encourage them to take a look at that as well. And I hope you, you liked it. I did. I, I learned a lot. And, you know, um, I think with you and, and really a lot of the other presenters, 
I think you're trying to get across so much information and you're trying to pack in so many things that, um, <laughs> and then again, me not being a, a cultivation expert, I did get lost a little bit. So I'm happy that I have you here and I can kind of, uh, slow things down a bit and kind of <laughs> walk totally. through the things that, that didn't quite, didn't quite connect in my mind. So you did do a great job though, of going through the four different stages of the uh, tissue culture process. So I was hoping if you might, Forgive me, but if you wouldn't mind sort of going through those a bit again. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so there are four main stages that most people would think of as tissue culture stages. You can do them out of order if you want to, uh, which is why the, the definitions get a little bit uh, blurred in between the lines. But, yeah, and, so, and sorry, yeah. I, I didn't mean to, to cut you off, but... Let's kind of continue as, as if we you've taken the, the sample, that, that meristem, and now we want to just take it through the entire process. Maybe that would be a, a good way to, to do it. Awesome. Okay, so what you'd do is you'd take that meristem, and right before you do anything with it, you'd actually take a little bit bigger amount of tissue, and you'd run it through a solution of about, I'd say, 10 to 20% bleach, depending on how long you let it sit in there. There's different protocols for different plants. I tried to stay around the 10 to 15, um, but you could go as high as 20. And you mix it with a chemical called tween 20, which is just imagine a soap, essentially. That's pretty much what it is that doesn't change the ionic properties, meaning it doesn't change your pH or mix with anything in a weird way. It literally is just uh, something they use in beauty products or shampoos or tissue culture. Um, so you take your bleach, you mix it with your tween 20 to let it penetrate the plant tissue a little bit better, and it just scrubs and kills anything that might be on the surface of the tissue itself. Um, if your bleach concentration is too high, you actually get a bleaching of the tissue, so the tissue loses its uh, chlorophyll pigments, and it just turns white. That's how you know you damage the tissue before you put it in the culture. Um, so that's all called the initiation stage. You're cleaning the tissue, you're getting it prepped, and then you're putting it into the test tube for the first time. That generally can take like a good hour to get ready if you're, you know, taking your time, really making sure everything's set, you're doing well. Just even rinsing the plant, I would always run it under water at first before I even added the bleach. And that way, any bacteria or fungus that might have easily been knocked off, it just gave it that little bit more extra agitation that you can use. Um, so all that's the initiation stage. And From initiation... And sorry, if I might stop you yeah, there. Yeah. Did I hear you correct saying that in addition to the meristem, you're taking another tissue sample? So it's all part of the same tissue sample. You take something bigger when you surface sterilize your tissue, and then you cut it down once it's underneath your hood in that sterile environment. So... Imagine initiation would be that you go out to the greenhouse or the grow or whatever it is, you cut the little top part off your plant, and you bring back, a, I'd say, a fairly large cutting just to make it easy to work with. Um, from that point, I would cut it down to maybe a half an inch or so, something like that, if I was going to start with meristem culture. And that's when I'd kind of run it through the sink for a while, really get all the agitation going, try and get some bacteria, fungus, or anything else that might be on there to kind of release and let go. Um, and then I'd run it through that bleach solution, the 20% with the uh, bleach with the tween 20. I generally would use like a drop or two. You don't need a whole lot. 
Okay, um, I, I understand. So you're not going out into the greenhouse with your microscope and, and no, taking no. off that little piece. All you're that has. So got it. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I'll get into this. So at that point, you're going to be moving it to a sterile laminar flow hood. It's very different from a fume hood. Fume hoods suck fumes out. Laminar flow hoods filter it. Vacuums have a HEPA filter on them. Uh, laminar fume hoods or laminar flow hoods have a HEPA filter on them as well. And it basically pushes the air through that filter and sterilizes all the air that goes through it because the particle sizes for those filters are so small that the bacterial spores or the fungal spores literally just can't penetrate. They get caught up in there and get stuck. So you're now blowing clean, very fresh air at yourself and onto your plants, onto your cuttings. Um, and this is the point where you have sterile water prepped and things like that. You basically take your plant out of your bleach solution. You do like a triple rinse in sterile water to make sure no other pathogens are present. And then you take sterile scalpel blades and you really cut down all the primordial leaf tissue. You cut everything off until you get to that very small meristem. It's, it's generally a very small cluster of cells. And you place that in your media. Um, that is all the initiation stage right there. It's all getting the plant from the greenhouse all the way into a test tube for the first time in a sterile environment. And there's a couple steps where you just have to keep making sure you're getting cleaner and cleaner as you go and you don't accidentally contaminate anything uh, in the process. Right, because as you mentioned in your, in your presentation, you're basically just putting the, the sample into a culture that is favorable for growing not just cannabis, but pretty much anything else too. So if there's any sort of microbial contamination that comes along with that, it's going to grow and probably take over the culture, right? Yep. So I'm actually going to touch on that really quick. I realized when I was doing that presentation, I didn't really explain. There are um, things like penicillin. They developed by seeing two different, a fungus and a bacteria compete. And they realized there was an... Um, an anti, I think it was a bacterial at the time present. Don't quote me on that, not 100%. Long story short, though, is they use those antibiotics in the culture media to get rid of a specific bacteria, a specific uh, thing like that in, let's say, bacteria media. Whereas tissue culture media, since you're growing a plant, um, you generally don't add antibiotics and it can affect how the plant hormones are produced or how the plant actually grows. And so to remove all the variables, you just leave it out, making it a prime environment for the bacteria or the fungus, depending on what you have, to actually either come out of your plant from um, endophytes or just to come out of the surface tissue if it wasn't quite sterilized properly. Right. Got it. Okay. So have we covered initiation? Um, that was all initiation. Yep. So multiplication, this step's super easy. All you're doing is initiation. You're growing that meristem or that auxiliary node uh, just a little bit further to the point where you can take more cuttings off of it. And once you can take more cuttings, you just you take them, they're already sterile, you don't need to go through the whole bleach process again, and you just split those up into other vessels. I generally would use test tubes when I started, so if I reference test tubes, just realize it's a culture vessel in some way. It's a sterilized vessel that has been pre-decontaminated, and you're now putting the plant in that. Uh, media's already in it, 
you've already prepped everything. You're just expanding your plant mass uh, exponentially. Uh, the max I got from one 25 millimeter test tube in diameter was, I think, 25 to 30 cuts off the one plant. Wow. So were these basically the same size as that original Meristem sample? No, not at all. Because the initial Meristem, if you can culture out of the virus, um, past that point, all the other tissue you're culturing will be virus-free. So you don't need to keep going through that process every time. I will also mention if you take a Meristem culture, you do have the chance of mutation because the Meristem, if it mutates, that's where you see weird variable changes in the leaf tissue, how stuff might look, how stuff might grow. Um, just because you're taking such a small amount of cells, when it goes to grow out, let's say, another shoot, you might have missed some of that genetic code. It might have changed hmm. it up slightly because you didn't take the full meristem. Okay, so when you're taking those cuttings off that original tissue culture, so how big is it at this point? How how much has it grown? Um, it's variable based off your container. Generally, I'd have something because I was using the test tubes, twenty five millimeters in diameter, kind of crammed in there, and maybe. Uh, three inches tall, something like that. They're still fairly small, though. And oh. you just keep cutting every single node that popped off uh, into a new tube. Okay, so is the idea that this tissue culture is just going to continually um, grow off new shoots that you're just going to be cutting off and then putting into a new tube? For simple terms, yes. Um, mm -hmm. I want to preface that with that only lasts for so long before you get weird genetic mutations that go on because the plant has not had a chance to express all its genes. Hmm. So I'll get, I'll get into that here too. Um, once we, you know, we're talking about multiplication and everything, but once you hit that fifth generation or so is what I've been told of multiplication, um, you definitely start to run into a lot of other issues where genetic deformities might happen. You might stunt your plant growth because it has not had that time to develop its normal, its normal natural processes, whether that's a terpene profile, potentially a smell. It might need a certain nutrient that it's not quite getting in the nutrients that you're constantly providing it. Um, I was always making my own nutrients when I do this. And so I would use, I think it was 28 different bottles of, let's say, um, ammonium nitrate or uh, monopotassium phosphate, just the individual chemicals that would build up that fertilizer in itself. So if you miss one or the concentration's not high enough, that's what I'm more talking about. You start to run into an issue over multiple generations where it's just missing something. Okay. So how long um, can you typically keep one going? That's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I tried to do transfers roughly every two to four weeks. Um, the sooner the better because then your media doesn't degrade. Something like iron in your media, it was light sensitive, and so the light would start to break it down, and you'd run into issues of the plant being um, deficient in iron. The longest I had a culture sitting at room temperature, I think, was about nine to ten months without touching it. And hmm. it started to do a couple weird things at certain points and then push new growth and induce more. When I say weird things, generate callus, kind of like you'd see right after you try rooting a cutting, how the bottom kind of bulges out and everything, but it hasn't quite built roots yet. Um, that same sort of tissue starts to form. 
after the plant's been in the media for a while. The hormones change up enough to allow it to do that. And so now will it continue to grow over that nine months or is it sort of in like a weird suspension? Um, it'll grow a little bit, but it's mostly in suspension at that point. Um, a lot of culture that just sits there for a while. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have all that nitrogen constantly being pushing or pushing it to grow. So you're lacking the nutrients it actually needs to really bulk up and get huge very quickly. Okay. All right. Is that, did we cover multiplication? Um, the only other thing I'm going to talk about there is during the initiation, uh, uh, initiation and multiplication stages, you're going to be using generally the same hormone or some hormone blend fairly similar, where you use something called a cytokinin, um, which is, it causes growth of the stem mostly, rather than expansion of the leaves and or rooting so much. So you're just trying to form more and more stem bits and more uh, lateral nodes to kind of um, form, rather than trying to get your plant to root or get everything bigger. Uh, when I say bigger, I'm talking, imagine you have a leaf that is really stressed, it'll remain smaller. If it gets more oxen, that leaf will, it'll become huge. Um, I've been kind of surprised some of the cultures I get out if I had if I added too much oxen. One of them would be the size of like my pinky nail and then another leaf might be the size of my thumb if it had more oxen in it. Just random things like that. Um, and actually, I'll touch on that too. I, I want to talk about um, germinating some seeds in tubes here. And so that's another bit that kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, that's initiation and multiplication right there. Excellent. So then we move on to rooting, correct? Okay. Yep. Rooting, um, this was one of the hardest stages I found in cannabis. Um, when you go to root, you... <laughs> I recommended it at CanMed too. I'm still in this mindset of look at the rooting hormones you're constantly using on your plants, not using tissue culture, and basically try and mimic those rooting hormones inside culture conditions or in vitro conditions. Um, you'll get a much more uh, accurate, quick way to root a plant if you use that as your baseline to kind of start. Um, if anybody's curious that's listening to this, I had about 2.5 microliters of IBA and about 0.5 microliters or less of NAA. Um, that helps you out at all. It took about anywhere from two weeks to four weeks to actually see roots starting to form. So definitely not the fastest I've ever seen in culture, but one of the fastest for cannabis specifically. So forgive me again, stupid question, but... During this multiplication step, there are no roots being formed. It's just growing new new stems and new shoots. I'd say that's a pretty fair way to say it. Um, you're not growing any roots. You're only growing shoots because of the cytokinin concentration. Um, and again, for anybody listening, I would go with uh, 2IP at about 2.5 microliters. And I'd also add NAA at about 0.3 microliters and you're going to get your best initiation multiplication media that I've found so far. So if that helps at all. Okay. So now we've gotten roots to form. Yep. Um, now we're putting them in soil? Yep, basically. So you just pull them out. Um, I've used soil. I've used rock wool. Essentially, what you just got to remember is you're taking a plant that's had pretty much 100% humidity, and you're putting it in a condition with less than 50% humidity generally. 
So you really got to make sure to keep that humidity level up close to 80 or 90 percent for the first day and then slowly taper it down. Hopefully by the end of the week, you can get it back to about the climate that you look for. Sometimes it might take up to two weeks on certain varieties. Okay. And so then once it's sort of established, it grows as if it were sort of a seedling, correct? Seed or a clone. Yep. Either way. But that it's important to uh, keep in mind, right, when you pull it out of the tube, it, it acts a lot like an unrooted clone, even if it has roots, just because it's not used to that um, super low humidity on the top part of the plant. So from initiation to chopping it down and, and processing it, how long is that process? Um, that's a very interesting question. So you can get it down to under a month if you have everything set up, lined up right, whatever, just to get it into tissue culture and out of tissue culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you start with the plant generally about the size of your thumb or so. So a couple inches tall, nothing too crazy. Um, the benefit of tissue culture in this sense is that that initiation stage that might take two weeks to get, you then have enough tissue that you can constantly cut 25 more, let's say, or even seven or eight more something along those lines, depending on what blend you use. It's exponential propagation for every two weeks. You get, let's say, 25 more five times in a row. So you go from something like um, one cutting to, let's say, 10 cuttings. Those 10 cuttings turn into 100 cuttings two weeks later. Those 100 cuttings turn into 1,000 cuttings, and you can see how that just kind of explodes um, extremely quickly. That's if you're not accounting for loss or contamination or anything else, if you have a perfect run. And so it kind of makes that in that entry versus exit stage a little bit trickier because every time you do this, you're waiting at least another two weeks before you can cut and or change your media. So let's say you're at that thousand cuttings and you've done all the initiation, all the multiplication. You just take all those cuttings, you change the media to a more... um, accommodate more of a rooting, uh, which would mean you can up your thymine levels, you can change your cytokinins into more of an auxin, such as IBA, to really get it to root. Uh, The same way that if you took a cutting, you dip it in the rooting hormone, exact Mm -hmm. same concept. So at that point, it's you have all all these plants that are in culture, you now have dipped them all in your rooting hormone uh, to keep this kind of easy to follow along. And now you it takes, you know, anywhere from two to four weeks to really start seeing roots form on those plants. And then once you see the roots, you put them in a container or media, whatever you would, just like a normal um, clone. So how does, how does the number of plants you can get out of a tissue culture sort of compare to taking cuttings from a mother? Um, do you get more from a tissue culture, more from a mother, or is that sort of not an easy question to answer? There is no comparison. Tissue culture, you have exponentially more every couple weeks, whereas a mother plant, you need to grow that out for roughly a month or two to get, you know, let's say if the mother plant's huge, even a couple hundred cuttings off it. You can do that in tissue culture in a fraction of the time. And if you're blend, if you're mixing your own media and you're not pre-buying it in, stuff like that, uh, you can get your media cost down to about one to four cents a tube. And so rather than 
buying the clone cube, which generally would even cost like a quarter a piece or something, you've dropped that down to three cents a piece, um, making it so hard to even compare the two. Tissue culture is by far more efficient, more effective, and cheaper to do in the long term. The downside is to set up a lab and to train somebody in sterile technique and all that uh, can be a little bit of a pain. I will also mention I have done tissue culture at my house using my stove to sterilize stuff and basically doing it in the heat of the stove as quickly as possible and still had decent amounts of success. So even though I'm talking about this, like, you know, it's something you need a lab and all this, if you just want to try it, I mean, you can do it at your house as long as you uh, clean all your surfaces first and kind of, you know, wipe down your counters and make sure everything's somewhat sterile um, if you're able to do it somewhat quickly. I can promise you, based on my previous experience cultivating, that I would not be able to do that. But... It's hard. I'll, I'll say that, but it's not. It's not impossible. And if you just want to, as I say, try it, you can spend, you know, ten dollars and even see if it's something that interests you. Now, are there commercial grows that are are using this method? Um, there are a few. I don't know of many that have it as their full that's how they're doing everything just because it's it's definitely a gamble every single time you do it let's say i was at a facility one time where the roof above me kept getting flooded by the grow was above me at the time and my contamination rate started to exponentially increase it started out an okay area to store my cultures and by the end of it it just turned into this uh we'll call it a cesspool where every single thing I was trying to do just got contaminated like crazy. Wow. And what about outside of cannabis? Are there other crops or flowers that sort of use this technique? Tons. Um, pineapples, grapes. Um, I've done it with some orchids, geraniums, heuchera, uh, flocks. I mean, really you can do it with pretty much any plant you want to. And your success is variable, but yeah, definitely. But even on a, a commercial scale, are they using yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Um, that's how a lot of orchids are actually staying alive. Some orchids, they don't really like to propagate too much. And you can't just germinate a seed. It requires a special fungus in order for it to even germinate in the first place. So they're finding um, by using tissue culture, you can actually just grow them like you normally would want to. And that's one of the biggest benefits is just constant storage and recovery of genetics that are very hard to either grow from seed and or get enough cuttings of. Um, the other example I'd have there is heuchera. I was uh, doing a heuchera propagation in tissue culture at one point. And in order to get four cuttings of heuchera, you needed to grow the plant out for like a month. Versus if you wanted to do it in tissue culture, you'd grow the plant out, you'd take your four cuttings, you'd try and get meristematic tissue. And then from those four cuttings, maybe two to three weeks later, you could get another 20. And so all of a sudden you weren't waiting like crazy just to get the couple few cuttings that you actually wanted. So one of the things that you touched on, I think when you were talking about orchids, was this idea of germinating seeds in um, a culture medium, which you had mentioned before too, and said you were going to get back to. So I wanted to make sure I brought that up. Uh, totally. Actually, there's two parts to that. There's one called green pod sowing. Um, and then there's actual just seed germination. And 
green pod sowing is you take an immature seed, which just hasn't developed the entire seed coat, but does have a live embryo in the middle. And you basically cut out the embryo, drop it in your culture media, and grow it just like that. Um, because your culture media has all the nutrients, hormones, and vitamins the plant needs to grow, it's essentially exactly what the seed coat would provide, which is all the nutrients, hormones, and vitamins in order for the plant to even germinate and start producing the correct tissues in the correct spots. Um, one of the interesting experiments I actually did when I was doing seed germination on cannabis specifically was I took uh, 2,4-D, which is an actual herbicide or a synthetic auxin, depending on your concentration, and I added it to my culture media just to see what would happen. Um, I actually grew the seeds upside down, so the roots were in the air and the shoots started growing into the media uh, because it was a non-polar auxin I figured out, meaning it didn't know up from down. Um, Found that kind of interesting when I was doing it. I've never seen it before. Wow. So being able to take the embryo out before it, it forms that seed coat, what are some of the advantages of doing it that way? Um, the big one that I would see is mostly for breeding purposes. Instead of having to grow your plant for that entire, let's say, 60 days or whatever it would generally take to get your seed you can cut that time down as soon as the pollen hits it you wait let's say a week a week and a half and you should be able to cut those seeds straight out put them in your media and actually get them to grow because the embryos formed without the seed coat at that point wow so that could that could significantly accelerate your program yeah you could cut months out of each cycle and in that case, you could do, if, especially if you're pulling them straight out of culture and flowering them. Um, or I've also seen people develop pollen sacs and or flowers in culture. You can reduce your, you know, let's say three-month, four-month grow time down to a three- to four-week grow time, which you can see the advantages there. Wow, absolutely. One other thing that you did touch on in your presentation that I wanted to ask you about was this idea of dark rooting. And you shared an interesting story about how you kind of came up with the idea. So I was hoping you could maybe retell that story and, and tell people about it. Yeah, sure. So I, I actually ran across this by accident completely. Um, I had cut down some plants one day that we just decided, you know, they were in vegetative growth phase. They were not in flowering at the time. But we just didn't want the plants. They were just extra. They might have been male. I don't exactly remember the circumstance. But I cut them way down low right next to the um, where the root system would start. And there were all these little white dots at the bottom of the plant. I'm sure, you know, people have seen these before. You don't really think anything of it. It's just a lot of white little things on the stem. Um, and you know it's part of the plant, so not an issue. I took that plant, shoved it in a black 55-gallon trash bag, and got carried away with some other project. I can't remember what it was. doesn't matter. Um, long story short is they sat in the corner of a grow room for about a week, maybe a week and a half. And I went back there just to stay compliant, get them out of the way. Um, and I decided to open the bag just to see, you know, does it smell funny? Is something rotting in here? What's going on? And right when I opened it, I saw new little root hairs uh, protruding out of the bottom. It would, it would be considered a callus growth uh, at that point of the plant. So right where all those little dots are, way down low, right next to your root ball, 
um, where the water continues to rise and lower and rise and lower and that sort of stuff. Uh, I saw maybe centimeter-long roots coming out. And the fact that that happened without the plants having any light whatsoever, no water, no nutrients, all I did was keep the humidity up like crazy, and the plant just naturally wanted to throw out roots right there, I decided, well, if that works outside of tissue culture, why not try it in tissue culture? I had uh, some experience with other hard-to-root plants and growing them in the dark for the first week or so in order to get those uh, the top tissue to not die off and the roots would start to push a little bit quicker. So I gave it a shot on cannabis, and it did work. Um, I don't want to say it was hugely successful because I saw quite a few issues, such as the roots didn't always grow down. They lost that polarity because I'm guessing the light has something to do with knowing which direction to travel polarity-wise. Um, and I actually know that for a fact. It's a common thing you learn in plant physiology, where a long time ago to determine auxins, they took a candle up to a plant and they saw which direction the stem would lean. And the experiment essentially taught them what an auxin was and how to or that it would break down under light. So when your auxin, your rooting hormone essentially, breaks down under light, you're going to have less of it naturally. That's why you see a lot of people to start to add charcoal into their rooting media. And the charcoal is actually mostly a way to prevent um, light from hitting your, your plant tissues and prevent something called phenolic exudation, which is... I like to think of it as the plants doing chemical warfare and trying to suffocate or kill any other plants or funguses or whatever around it by excreting toxic chemicals. The only problem is if it's growing in its own tube by itself, those toxic chemicals come back to uh, kill it off. Hmm. So rooting in the dark, the entire point of this for me was I saw an application with tissue culture and being able to ship these cultures in a sealed, enclosed, sterile environment in the mail where they could get knocked around quite a bit. And, you know, you could chuck the package or whatever, and you wouldn't lose your culture. The plant wouldn't die. So by the time it got from point A to its destination at point B, um, you still, you still had a healthy plant that was alive. And if you had just done those cultures and shipped it, they would have either just started to root or be fully rooted by the time they reached their destination without even using priority mail. Wow. Well, that would be an interesting application for sure. Exactly. So, you know, why, why take all this time to try and ship a clone dome that's all... You need it lit and you need to worry about all your cuttings inside, not having an insect on them or anything else. You're already sterile. All you do is throw it in the mail. And this is actually uh, kind of tying into automation of tissue culture, if you don't mind talking about that for a minute. No, not at all. Okay, so one of the big things was if you try and ship all these, you'd obviously want to automate your process so you could just mass ship and you could have one company or one project where all you're focused on, instead of taking mother plants and all that, is growing out small plants, amassing them in tissue culture using stage two, that multiplication stage, and then shipping them off to other people. And at their facilities, they can harden them off and do things like that, um, which would mean 
there's certain um, things I've seen, such as media pouring applications, which take and pump media in, let's say, eight cells wide by 20 cells long or something along those lines. And you can then seal it up with a piece of um, saran wrap or uh, vacuum sealed, whatever you want to call it, just a clear plastic film on the top. And from that point, it's sterile. You can ship them without any really big human inputs. You'd have a machine with a robot arm go and take your cuttings and place them in your culture media themselves. You'd have a machine that filled all your culture media and sealed everything um, after the robot arm went and stuck all the cultures and then ship them off. And this is actually, um, I've started at this company, uh, Olson's Greenhouse, and they're one of the largest in the U.S. currently. I think they're the 10th largest right now. And I'm actually running their propagation department. And the application I could see for tissue culture in the cannabis industry is fairly similar. You have a device called a boom, a watering boom, which is just mist nozzles that have such a fine mist, they uh, keep the humidity up on your plants. So if we were to, let's say, buy in tissue culture and keep these boom mist nozzles running over the plants every five minutes to start with, we could actually pull the plants from the in vitro cultured vessels, stick them in the plug trays or whatever we wanted to use our maybe two and a half inch pots or three inch pots and just keep them alive with the mist in order to fully grow the plants and harden them off all at the same time. So it cuts down on a ton of taking the cuttings having mom plants around, worrying about all the pathogens that come along with that and allow the allow companies to just buy in their cultures straight, buy in their plants straight, have a consistent type, um, know they're insect and pathogen free. If you know the company is doing meristem culture, you can also guarantee virus free, especially if they're testing. Um, and again, I'm going to mention that the assays that you guys are doing, I that is huge. I didn't realize you were doing that until today. And so, yeah, I, I would highly recommend um, talking to tissue culture growers on that. I could see a huge application for all the different virus tests that you would perform. Wow, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds amazing, actually. The idea of um, cultivators sort of just getting a, a flat of all these tissue cultures and then kind of putting them underneath the mist, hardening them off, and then then you're off to the races. Um, that would certainly be quite the operation. Yeah, the advantage of that over clone domes, because I know a lot of people, um, especially probably listening, really like clone domes. You tend to have stagnant air, which can develop more pathogen issues on your tissue, things like that versus a mist bench or a mist system, which would essentially uh, lay water on the tissue and then let it dry out, preventing huge pathogen buildups over time um, for the most part. Yeah, and I guess that's a, an interesting question. So are these plants any more susceptible to contamination than you know a plant that was grown right from seed? Um. I don't think so. A lot of it is genetic variety dependent. So some we'll call them strains are going to be different than other strains and in the insects they draw, the pathogens they get, um, things like that. And so, yeah, I with a seed, you can still have a bacteria or a virus inside the seed coat itself, in the embryo itself, before you even germinate it. 
So tissue culture is probably a better method, actually, to ensure virus, um, pathogen, and insect-free plants. All right, that's the goal. Um, I do want to be mindful of your time. I could I could talk about this for seemingly all day, um, but I do want to be mindful of your time. And before I let you go, I wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, plug uh, the company that you're working for, any social media or anything. Um, now is your time. Um, yeah, sure. So currently I'm working for one of the largest greenhouses in Colorado, Olson's Greenhouse. Um, right now they're cultivating plants mostly for Walmart and Home Depot. So not really doing a whole lot with cannabis um, per se. And if you want to follow my uh, Instagram, you're more than welcome to. It's at uh, Kamachi, K-O-M-A-T-C-H-I-I. And I try and post, you know, some interesting plant pictures every once in a while. But that's about it for now. Um, yeah. All right. And before I let you go, I do want to thank you for being one of our scientific advisors for CanMed this year. Um, you've been a big help looking through all the different abstracts for folks who are, are looking to speak at the event. So we do want to thank you for that. And we do look forward to seeing you out at the event in Pasadena. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to uh, get that started up again. I believe it's in April. Yes, sir. April 12th through 14th. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you then. Sounds good. I do hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Jordan. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. Thanks again to our sponsor, Dark Heart Nursery. Go to darkheartnursery.com to learn more. Our next episode will drop November 25th. That's the day before Thanksgiving and one month before Christmas, as a friendly reminder. In the meantime, please go to canmedevents.com slash coffee talk to sign up for email updates. That will enter you into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2021 VIP dinner and keep you up to date on all things CanMed 2021. Also be sure to join our CanMed community Facebook group so that you can interact directly with many of the CanMed conference speakers, past attendees, and other group members to discuss all things related to cannabis science, cannabis research, and cannabis medicine. And lastly, if you are listening via a podcast app, you can subscribe to our feed so that new episodes automatically download to your device. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talk.
On this episode, I got to speak with Dr. Marion McNabb, who is the president of the Cannabis Center of Excellence and CEO of Cannabis Community Care and Research Network. Marion is a public health doctor by training and has nearly 20 years of global and domestic public health experience. Her team recently completed a Veterans Health and Medical Cannabis Research Study with the goal of gathering information from U.S. military veterans regarding their current health conditions, conventional medical treatments, medical cannabis use, and its effectiveness with self-reported health conditions and symptoms. We talked a lot about the veteran study, as well as other public health topics related to medical cannabis, including how military veterans use cannabis to treat a variety of conditions to reduce dependence on other medications, what barriers veterans face when trying to access medical cannabis, what programs have been established to assist veterans with the cost of cannabis medicine, how does veterans' use of medical cannabis compare to the general population, how has the COVID-19 pandemic changed cannabis use in terms of frequency, purchasing habits, and conditions, how implementing proper testing led to the eventual lift of the vape ban in Massachusetts, and how the vote to legalize adult-use cannabis in New Jersey affects the issues of public health, social justice, and advocacy in that state. But before we get to that conversation, I do want to thank this episode's sponsor, Cannabis Science and Technology. Cannabis Science and Technology is proud to present a special supplement and free virtual Veterans Day e-symposium focused on medical cannabis treatment for veterans with PTSD. The supplement and symposium will feature Dr. Marion McNabb and the data she uncovered in her 2019 Veterans Health and Medical Cannabis Study. In addition, the supplement will include articles with Dr. Stacy Gruber, veteran patient Stephen Mandeel, a VA caregiver, a nurse, and medical cannabis advocates all heavily involved with this topic. The e-symposium will also feature a special panel discussion organized by Stephen Mandeel with the group of veterans from across the country. Go to CannabisScienceTech.com to learn more. And finally, it wouldn't be the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast without the Hemp and Coffee Exchange. If you don't know, Hemp Coffee is a healthy, delicious, natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, as promised, here is my conversation with Dr. Marion McNabb. <music> 